Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you for coming in with a heart that was open to worship. Um, wow, it's more light than we normally have. Everybody got scared for a second, like, whoa, what's going on? I can see something's wrong. Um, today is uh, mine and my wife's anniversary. Um, I thought she would have woken up this morning with that exact same enthusiasm. Um, however, uh, just to be quite frank, I didn't quite get exactly that exuberance um, this morning um, at, at our house. Um, I have learned something um, for the years that we have married, been married for sure, um, which is this. I had, uh, I had no clue what I was doing when we started. I still don't really know that I have much of a clue um, today, but I know for sure it's very clear that I, didn't, I really didn't know anything then. Um, the premarital counseling that mine and my wife uh, we, we had um, was probably about a 15-minute conversation with a pastor um, in his kitchen and, in which I really feel like I was just more threatened than anything else. Um, and, and once that 15 minutes was over, um, it was kind of like, hey, that's it. Which songs do you want for the wedding? So when we, when we got married, it was kind of like, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're having this ceremony, and I really, really hope the next um, lifetime goes pretty well. Um, Actually, when, when we got married, a little bit less than a month before it, um, I, I tore my ACL. Well, I didn't tear it. I got hit in a basketball game um, in which my leg made a really nice L shape, um, and I, my ACL was ripped from both ends. Um, that usually on, on an MRI, they go, hey, that's where your ACL's torn. Um, they were actually going, hey, can anybody find it? And, and nobody could. It, it went from both ends. So um, even as we got married, I, well, first of all, uh, you know, if you know me at all, you know my wife at all, um, at, at three weeks out, I was not going to take the chance of postponing that, that wedding ceremony. I was like, it, it, she may be delusional, and that's fine, because once I get the contract signed, we're done. Like, it's, she's bought the car. I mean, that's like, it's, it's, that's it. So wasn't going to take a chance of, like, having surgery or anything like that near that time. So I remember even, like, during the ceremony, our ceremony was uh, much more traditional than most of the ceremonies that I do now. We had uh, the two kneeling benches, if you had that, if you ever remember those um, at weddings. And I, I remember even just kneeling on the kneeling bench, I'm sitting there, and as the pastor's praying over us, in my mind I'm going, okay, I don't think I can get up. Like, it's, like I can feel my knee moving a little bit even when we're walking up and down the stairs. Um, in fact, we, are, we were gifted a honeymoon um, trip to Aruba, so we stayed there, and we were on a resort, and uh, we went um, we went parasailing, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been to just any, you've ever dealt with anybody in the Caribbean, but it's really wonderful in the Caribbean, because everything's just okay, it just, it doesn't matter, hey, uh, you know, a bomb just went off, it's okay, it's it just, it's whatever, so we had, neither one of us had ever parasailed before, so we decided, they told us, they said, well, you can go up by yourself, or you can go up, you know, tandem, you know, it's on a honeymoon, everything together on a honeymoon is better together, right, so just assume that carried over into parasailing. And so we're up, we're, we're getting ready to go up, and, and this guy looks at us, and he's like, hey, um, 250 pounds? I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure I weigh a lot less than that. And then it dawned on me, he meant addition, like the sum of both of us. Look, I was a lot thinner than I am now. I don't, it just wasn't possible for two human adults to be that light, I didn't think. So then I looked at him and said, no, 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 we're, um, I'm not going to say how much, but yes, we're over 250 together. To which he replied, it's okay. <laughs> Long story short, after they were also concerned about the weather and the wind and how much the boat was moving, we finally got up in the air. And if you could have seen, for the first time, everything didn't look okay, because the look on this guy's face on the boat as, as our a little over 250-pound combined weight and the parasail was literally just whipping the boat back and forth. And he's just trying to hold on for dear life. And all the people that were going after us were on the boat just praying to God Almighty just to let us get down. Um, at that moment, I was like, I, I don't, like, I almost, I, I couldn't even get in the parasail right. I, like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to, I, even on the honeymoon, I'm like, I, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Um, and, and that's the thing. I think a lot of times for us, we, we get into relationships, um, and, and we don't really even know when we begin it how underprepared we are for that relationship, but we're still in them, um, and, and I can even prove my point this way. Um, after 18 years of marriage, 
Um, if I just really don't communicate with Wendy, I mean, even even if she's if she's working, I don't I don't call her, I don't check in, I don't do anything like that all day long. I'm still her husband, but we would probably agree that I probably wouldn't be considered a very good one, right? Um, if I didn't, if I didn't, if I just kind of lived and existed where she was, like I was in the rooms around her, but maybe just once a week I kind of went and, you know, showed up at her work and was like, hey, you know, I'm here, you know, you don't have to deal with me, I don't necessarily have to deal with you, but I'm here, I'm like, I've gone the extra mile. I'm still a husband, but we probably would agree that I wouldn't be a very good one. As I thought through some of those thoughts this week, I, I took I took Wendy's name out of that and said, okay, but what if, what if instead of Wendy's name, I put in God's name? You know, like, I, like I'm, I'm around him, like I realize I'm around him, and I show up maybe on Sunday morning, like where I'm assuming he's at work, like he's on the job on Sunday morning. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm here. I've kind of like, I, I've showed up, but I don't really, we don't really go farther than that. See, just like whether I'm a good one or a bad one, since the day we said I do, I've been a husband every day, regardless if it's been a good version or bad version. And that's where many of us are in different relationships of our life. Sometimes it's between us, even as adults, and our parents. We're still their child, even though we might be at odds with a mom or a dad, even as an adult. Um, the coworkers that we have, we, we have that relationship. It's true. That's, we are coworkers every day, regardless of the fact that we're arguing or if we're at peace. Um, many times there's, there's that really clear thing about relationships. And for some of us, that, that ends up becoming where it exists between us and God. Uh, we feel confident that we are, yes, in a relationship with him. But then what is called into question is, is what is the quality of that relationship? If that relationship was evaluated, what would we say that it's like? And I don't know about you, but um, even though I haven't always been the best at working at relationships, um, maybe there's times where we've done marriage counseling or we haven't done marriage counseling, um, none of us really wake up like, you know what, hey, let's be satisfied with really bad relationships. Let's just have some really bad ones, and that's just going to be okay. We, we want good relationships. Well, in the Bible, there's two words that are used often when it's put in context with a relationship with God. And these two words are draw near. Um, I've done this thing in my life where um, I haven't always started with my relationship with God and let that affect the other relationships of my life. That's actually the way that Jesus really prescribed it to us. Um, he, he talked in the terms of commandments when he was asked. He said, if you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then equally as important, but second to that, in order, love others as yourself. In other words, if, if I have a really clear understanding of who I am because of the love of my Father in God, who I am in Jesus as a saved individual, if I really understand that and realize the amount that I'm loved in that relationship, then I'm called to then go love other people like I'm loved by Him. Not love them like I love myself, love them as I am loved by the Father. And that's really the call of our relationships, but if you've ever done it like I've done it, many times I've done this instead. I've taken the, the, the issues of my earthly relationships between people and mistakenly transposed those into my relationship with God, my walk with Jesus. Uh, for me, one clear example of that in my life is, as I grew up, um, my dad was absent in my life. Um, we, we didn't talk many times, just we were never around each other. He was gone. And for me, in my walk with Jesus, one of the toughest things over all the years that I believe that I've been saved has been to really have a very concrete, tangible, faithful, regular, deep prayer life. Much of because I got so used to not talking to my father that I began to believe in my mind I didn't need to talk to my father to survive. And then ultimately, as I developed this idea of God as my father, I began to walk in a Christian walk, in a Christian life, not needing to talk to my father because I had adopted this belief and I had transposed it onto him of, well, I can make it through life without talking to my dad. So 
that, that just rolled over into my relationship with God. Many times we take the, the brokenness and the issues of our earthly relationships and, and we actually let those affect our relationship with Him instead of our relationship with Him affecting every relationship that's around us. And for many, many, many Sundays, we could sit here and talk about how do we fix all the relationships um, in, our, in our lives. Um, and I'm not even talking about diving into, diving into your issues. I've got enough issues for the whole room, right? So I could just talk about me for a while, and y'all would be like, ooh. But I mean, I could go for sermons on just the mess that is me. But I really want to spend about two or three weeks really talking about um, what our relationship with God um, is supposed to be understood as and functionally lived out um, so that we really, we really do have a very clear understanding of what that is. Now, and some of, some of us, you, you may be in a situation like I was. You know what, I, I've grown up in church. I've been around church so long. Trust me, I've got relationship with God. Um, I, I've, I've got it lo- on lockdown. I, I've got it no problem. If you will, just as a favor, um, if I could ask this, if you'll just kind of set that aside for a while. I've had to set that aside for myself many times and said, okay, I, I've, I've gone to church. I've done some things, but, but I've had to set all that aside to say, okay, what does a real rich, deep relationship with God um, look like? Because um, it, it, being summertime, I always think of this when I go to the beach. I, I love going to the beach. If you're going to get to the beach uh, for the 4th of July, the weekend, or this week, uh, please be safe. We know we'll have much of our church family probably doing that, um, as usually we see in our attendance. Um, but to me, the best place at the beach, the best place at the beach, is, is to be on the sand far enough away from that first row of houses or or hotels or condos or whatever to where you can't hear anything that's going on behind you, but but far enough away to where all the to where the waves aren't like getting your book soaking wet or locking over your Dr. Pepper or whatever it is. And and like you can just stay there and you don't have to hear what's behind you because it's just the roar of the ocean and the sound of the wind and you can just kind of shut everything down. Isn't that like the just the best spot in all the world, right? Um and and if you just totally lose track of the sermon, just take yourself to that spot and then catch up on the podcast and it'll all will be right. <laughs> but I often think not just of that being such a good spot, but also um, with my boys over the last few years, as they've grown up, um, if you've ever had your kids in the ocean or if you've ever grown up and been at the ocean yourself, you realize, especially at certain heights in your physical development, you get to these points where you're strong enough to be able to swim, right? Like you can kind of tread water, you can make it. But you get out in the ocean to this point where the waves are just absolutely beating you down. And they'll come at such a pace sometimes that you can hardly stand up on your feet. And over the last couple um, years, as, as my three boys have gotten older and older and older, you, you, I have to teach each one of them um, the big secret to making it in the ocean um, at, at that stage, which is if you're just trying to kind of fight the waves up top, you end up just getting knocked around, right? But if you'll just take a minute, catch your breath, hold it, and go deeper you actually go under all that abuse, it's still going on. It's still happening. But you went deeper, and you went deep enough to where you were able then to be able to stand up later and have not experienced it exactly the same way. You didn't feel it exactly the same way. That's much like what we want to do with this idea of relationship with God. We want to stop just standing in life assuming that we know what we know and what we know is enough And that just ends up being something that's just beating against us just over and over and over again. We want to dive deeper for a minute. Say, okay, let me me experience this a different way. The waves of life are still going to crash, folks. We know that. But let's, let's go deeper enough to where we say, let me make sure I understand this relationship on a better level to where I experience life on a different, in a different way. Okay? We're going to do this today. We're going to start this today um, in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be going with this idea that was written very well by a pastor from England that lived in the 19th century. Um, he wrote about the, um, really a relationship with God from two standpoints. And this is going to kind of come back um, as we talk about this today. The, the first thing that we want to think about is, is this idea of union. Okay, The idea of union. You, you, we can't improve our union with God. We can't improve union. Union is um, the coming together of two people into a relationship. Uh, from, from the day that I got married, whether I was a great husband or a horrible one, I've always been a husband. That truth and that identity hasn't changed. The Bible's very clear that salvation with, with, 
to where we become close with God in a relationship with God. Salvation is through Jesus. It is by faith in him, not by the stuff we do. So when we get saved, our union in Christ is supposed to really give us confidence. Because there's a couple of fears that we're going to talk about in relationships that come up. But the reason why our union gives us confidence is, is, is there is no mess up. If we truly have given our, our heart to God, there, there's no mess up, no sin that we do where God goes, you know what, I know I've said that nobody's going to take you out of my hand, but I'm really tired of holding you, and I'm just going to let you go. There is a confidence in the security of our relationship with God. But there's not just the union of our relationship there's also this thing called communion that this pastor wrote about. And really, communion is another word for relationship. There's the fact that we belong to God, but then there's this other thing that says it's not just that we belong to him, it's how do we fellowship with him? How do we live in Christ? How do we really walk with God? How do we know we're in not just a relationship that exists in our minds, but one that really has consumed our lives? And it's in, this, and it's, it's in this idea of the confidence of union, but in, in the compelling of communion that we want to find really what this relationship is really supposed to be like um, in our lives on a regular day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to begin in Hebrews um, chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. Communion being essentially this, God coming to us, us coming to God. God to us, us to God. Now, in Hebrews, we, we have to remember something. Hebrews is a unique letter in the scope of the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, from the Gospels to Revelation. We have to keep a little bit of an Old Testament mindset when we're in the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament, if you've never really took time to study it, the Old Testament is always, always, always very much worth your study time. However, what you always really need to maintain to have a healthy perspective is, is to study the New Testament and also, while you're studying it, look at the fulfillment of who Jesus is. Because there is some crazy stuff going on in the Old Testament that almost in some ways seems to contradict who we think God is. And many times in the Old Testament, the things that people are doing, and they seem to be getting by with them, are not things that God told them to do, and is actually the proof that God is, as he says, I'm long-suffering, I'm patient. So it's always so important to look at who Jesus is. That's what Hebrews is really there doing. It's talking to a predominantly Jewish audience. That's the heart of the writing. That's the target audience. But, but it's really looking at Jesus as what he's done. So we're going to talk a little bit in context of what these people knew that we don't necessarily experience in our own lives to make sure we get, um, hopefully, a really good meaning here. Verse 19 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated or opened fresh for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, before we go to the last couple of verses, I want to make sure that you, you kind of see what the, really the writer is aiming at here. Um, for Someone who was a Jew, especially prior to Jesus' life, and even some of the Jews, what they were kind of wanting to revert back to after the life of Jesus, they would have experienced, like what we call church, coming in this building to worship, um, to everybody's favorite part of the, the, the service, the offering, um, and all that goes on, right? All that goes on, we call this going to church. For them to come into worship, to come into this kind of environment, look very, very different, right? And honestly, we, we, you, really can't even, you really can't even fathom, we can't really fathom the difference of what it really looked like. But on a basic, basic model understanding, if you kind of consider this main part of the stage a big rectangle, um, and here's one of the great things about um, being saved and being in this New Testament age, everybody in salvation was taken directly to the highest level. See, in, within the Israelites, only certain priests, and the high priest would be able to go back into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. When Jesus Christ died and paid for our sins and came back to life, what he offers in the gospel is not a hierarchy of salvation, a hierarchy of knowing God. Everyone gets taken directly to the presence of God. Like you, you bypass all these middle management levels of Christianity. You just go straight, like everybody's at the same level, right? So for them, as they just entered the doors to the courtyard, 
There's a couple of things that were in the courtyard. There was this brazing altar that was um, where sacrifices were going on. Actually, blood was being collected for, for a sprinkling. Then there's this labor that's there to wash in. We'll talk about that stuff in just a minute. But you would come in there and just imagine for yourself, you are at this top level of being able to experience and know and be in the presence of God, the same level that we're all called to live in on a daily basis. If you're at this level, you come in here, you have to deal with these two things. We're going to come back to those. Then you come into the doors of the temple where worship would be going on, and because you are the high priest, because you're at this top level, you had the opportunity to get all the way to this curtain that divided where everybody else would be able to come to, and this place called the Holy of Holies, this place where God's presence existed. And if you step through this curtain into the presence of God with one sin, your life was ended in judgment right then. Because sin couldn't come into the presence of God. So imagine for yourself for a moment, if you were this kind of person and, and, and you came here and you were washed and then you were sprinkled with this blood that represented um, atonement for sin, and then you, you walked through where all the commoners, all the people that were just going through normal life, and you actually got to the curtain, the very doorway that got you to the presence of God, even if in that moment you had the slightest of thoughts that you were in some way better than everybody else that didn't get to walk in the room, that just that thought of pride of, of just you being better would be enough that would, that would end your life once you stepped into God's presence. Think about the fear of this moment. What did it feel like to have to be able to trust God enough that what he said was true, but that you in some way were good enough to step into his presence and anything less would not work? Like 99.9 .9 just wasn't going to get it. That's why... When God inspires his word and he says that we have a boldness to be able to go into the presence of God through prayer, through Jesus, it's still the same God. He didn't just have a mean phase. He's still the same God. We just have the boldness that we can just get, like we can, we can walk into the room however we come in. We don't have to worry about the, the curtain moment of saying, God, if I'm good enough, we just come into his presence. In fact, we come to his presence when we're not at all good enough. So it's this boldness that we have. Now, there's two, there's two fears that often come up in relationships. One, the fear of judgment, and then two, the fear of disappointment. The fear of judgment is that someone is going to look at us and not appreciate us. Somebody's going to look at us and say that we're wrong, that we're bad, we're not good enough. Somebody's not going to love us the right way. Somebody's not going to find us attractive enough. We're not going to be in ourselves good enough to earn whatever it is that that person is supposed to offer. It's, it's looking at your spouse after years and years of marriage and saying, I don't even know that you want me anymore. I don't know that, that who I am now at this point in life is enough for you. It's looking at a friend of yours going, I don't know that, that, that I can trust you the same way. I don't know that, that you really believe that I'm being honest with you. It, it's, it's dealing with with, with your parents or with your kids, it's looking at it and going, you know what, you're going to somehow think that I'm just not worth listening to. It's the fear of being judged. See, Jesus took care of the fear of judgment because like it says in here, that, that through him, that through him, by his sacrifice, that he has atoned for our sin. So there is, there is not something that's so great that God is going to hold it against us to keep us out of his presence if we're saved in Jesus Christ. At the same time, he also addressed this idea of the fear of disappointment. You ever looked at somebody that you're close to, regardless of what kind of relationship it is, and just looked at them and thought, I don't know this is going to really end well. I don't know that I can just be honest right now. Because if I'm honest and I say what I'm thinking, I'm not so sure you don't walk out. You ever, you ever just, before even before you even did whatever it was, before you ever said it, started the conversation, and maybe sometimes before you even willingly got into the relationship, you just looked at me and you're like, you know what? You're just going to let me down again. I've been let down too many times. See, the second part of this first section of this passage says that, says that since we have so great a high priest, again, this is remember, this is outside of our normal understanding. For them, a high priest would have been this person that, that 
their life allowed them, by the grace of God, to be in God's presence. And while they were there, while they were there, they didn't just speak for themselves. They were there representing everybody else on the outside. Their job was to come to God for these people. It says that Jesus has now stepped into that role. And in stepping in that role, he is always interceding between us and God. He's saying, listen, what they've done, I've covered with my sacrifice. They're, they're, they're ours, God. They're, they're, they're our child. He's constantly in that communication mode. He's constantly working in our lives. God's spirit is in us. It's the power of Jesus in us. He's constantly present, constantly alert. Work. He won't leave and he won't quit. Think about those two things. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you could know for sure that they wouldn't leave and they wouldn't quit, how would it change everything about the, how you lived in that relationship? For some of us in the room that have been hurt greatly, that's, that, that, that's more than a game changer. And that's what Jesus stepped into that role for us. He won't leave, he won't quit. So the fear of disappointment can begin to leave us. Now, Within this, we have this set up. This is how, they, this is how the mindset has been set. This is, this is the table of mindset that's been, that's been prepared. Now, let's continue back on with verse 22 again. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. If you remembered in this illustration that I set up for you, I told you there was, a, there was an altar that was always, um, always had a fire in it, and then there was this basically a wash basin, okay? So this person, remember the high priest, this kind of level that we're all taken to in salvation, if this person was going to be in God's presence, they had to come in first and wash in this basin. They had to be completely clean. The Old Testament dealt a lot with what was visible on the outside. The New Testament... Jesus goes right for the heart, okay? And, and for us, we have to understand that, that union and communion are so important because for, for the Israelites, they really struggled with this thing where they said, okay, we're in union with God. Like, we, we are loved by Him. And they would live their life this way. They would go, basically, they would kind of go around living like, you know what? We, we are God's chosen ones. We're His children. So world, deal with it. Like, if, if what we want, we should just get. We should just have his protection all the time. It really shouldn't matter so much about how we live because surely someone else is always living worse than us. And you know what? I've made that same mistake in my life. I've said, you know what? Hey, I'm saved, and I've, I've just chosen to pursue a path of sin like you know, salvation was just enough to make that okay. And nowhere in the Bible is that gospel preached. So we have to really, really understand in our minds, like, this union idea is, is, is great and it's deep. But communion, our functioning relationship with God, calls us to so much more. See, what they would do is, is they would have to come in and they'd have to wash themselves completely. Had to be completely clean. And once they were clean, then they went over and then they, this blood from these sacrifices, they, somebody would take it in their hand and they would sprinkle them with this blood. And that blood sprinkle represent that they were now, that they were now atoned for for their sin. It, it was a physical representation of what we experience in our souls in salvation through Jesus. But think about this for a second. They had to clean themselves, then they were pronounced okay. The union had this appearance of almost being conditional. That's not what God says to us. And, and, and it's funny to me because, not funny, but interesting is probably the better way to say it. The, the order that that these sentences were originally written in original language, um, it's not just an inspired word, it's, it's inspired order. See, in this Old Testament scenario, you had to clean yourself up before you got this stamp of approval in this, in, in this demonstration process of being clean enough to go before God. In here, divinely inspired, it says, that you are sprinkled first 
He says, God says, you know what, I'm going to step in. I'm going to deal with this, this conscious, this guilty conscience that you have for all the wrong that you've done. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to say, you know what, I, I have blessed that. I have forgiven that. I have, I have pronounced my justification over all those things. You are made right with me is, is basically what God is trying to tell us here. He said, you've been made right with me. Yes, the cleaning part is still valid, but that's the, that's the journey of life that we're on. The union comes in and what's represented in that sprinkling. The communion is the life that we live with Jesus as, as he shows us in our lives what needs to be cleaned up, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be addressed, what needs to be talked about. That's the communion of walking with him. It's very, very important that we see the difference in these two things. Now, there's a, there's a few things that I want to read to you that, that hopefully will kind of reinforce what we're talking about here. Um, because in a, in a sense... To, to really dig deep, we have to start thinking about, okay, what, is this, what does this process of life look like when we hear the word and we want to fellowship with God, we want to walk close with him? What does a real relationship with God begin to look like? I want you to listen to a few of these things. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 3, it says this, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, um, when our hearts cry out, Jesus, you, you are my Lord. That is actually God's spirit inside of us saying, listen, if your heart really cries out, whether it's in prayer or just out loud in your life, that Jesus, you're, you're in control here. I give you my life. The Bible's very clear. The Word of God says that the Holy Spirit does that in our heart. Like nobody just says, I'm giving up control of my life on their own freely. That doesn't come out of our own goodwill. Now, we may, somebody may wrongly say, yes, Jesus is Lord. But saying Jesus is my Lord is very, very, very different. So when, when we say that in our heart, that doesn't just confirm our union. That enters us into communion. That enters us into this relationship where we go, okay, I'm listening, and I'm willing to do. As a follow-up to that, consider this. In Romans 8, 15, and 16, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does is, what is union versus communion look like? Union Child to parent looks like this. A parent has a resource the child wants, so the child shows up and goes, can I have it? Because I want to go spend it, right? It's, it's, like, it's like a child coming in because they've seen something they want um, on Amazon, and they're like, hey, can, 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 I, can I buy this? My parents have a resource I don't have, and there's something that I want. That, that just shows union, child to parent. What does communion look like? Instead of going for the resources of life that we want, we go to a father because we just don't have all the answers. There's a big difference when a child comes up to a parent and says, Dad, can I have, versus, Dad, I don't know what to do. Will you help? That's a totally different prayer. That's a communion. That's a relational kind of prayer. The Bible says that's, that's the Holy Spirit working in us. That does show union, but it also shows where's our communion with God at. It says that we know that we have passed um, out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's what 1 John 3.14 says. Again, um, how do we know what our communion with God looks like? We know that God is working towards us, and we're supposed to be working towards him. So when God is loving his creation, when he has sent his son Jesus for his creation, and he loves those people, then at that moment, we, we must get consumed with the love of those same people. A friend of mine said a few weeks ago to me, he said, he said, I've gotten to the place in my life where he said, I realized I can't say that I love God and not love other people. He said, I'm now finally starting to see people, I hope, the way God sees them. And when he said that, I thought, man, you know, yes, that's it. I mean, communion with God overflows into other relationships. It's amazing what we can love through and forgive and begin a process of healing through when we first dove, dove deeper into our relationship with God. I, I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you this. Many times, many, many times, if you've been married for long, you've arrived at the place where you may have made, this, made a statement like this. Me and my spouse um, are more like roommates than we are lovers. We're more like roommates than we are really spouses. Some of us have arrived at places much more hurtful in many different relationships than we have. I have figured this out in life, and, and maybe you can attest to this too. I am very limited in how I will love others or how I will treat others or how I will forgive others. I'm very limited in that. But the deeper that I go in my relationship with God, when those hurts crash over me, 
I experience in them very differently. And what can come out of me is really a sign of what I've, what I've received much deeper. I'm not saying that I'm still good. No, I'm saying on those points, that, that, is, that is grace that only God can give. In other words, it's grace that we're only going to be able to have if we really dig deep into our relationship with him. Now, there's, there's the next one. It, it's a little tougher because it's where we really, we really wrestle with our own sin. Um, 1 John 3, 9 says that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. And we read a scripture like that and go, hang on a second, does that mean that if I continue to choose to sin for a season in my life that I'm, that I'm not really saved? Before you go down that road, take note, 1 John um, 1, 6, through, 6 and 7, and in verse 10 agrees. And it says basically this, that if we say that we have no sin, God says that we're a liar. But when we walk in the light, in other words, when we walk in Christ, when we have communion with him, it's not that we don't sin. It's that we ask for forgiveness of our sin. We confess it. See, sinning once we're saved doesn't mean that we miss something along the way. It's a reflection that we still live in this broken world. However, walking with Christ means that when we're aware of our sin, we confess it and we repent of it and we go to him for forgiveness. But it's really, it really is a wrestling point for those of us that go, I, I really believe that I'm saved. We do tend to struggle with this reality of I do keep sinning. The Bible doesn't, doesn't ignore that fact. It, it, it addresses it many times. In Romans 7, Paul, he, he wrestles it through in Romans 7. He's wrestling with it himself. Um, the, the last one is this, 1 John 4, 6. Whoever knows God listens to us. Um, uh, John 10, 27 says that my sheep, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. Um, this week, I'm getting ready to go speak at a camp that I've been able to speak to for the last couple years, and it's through our state convention level that we're part of here at church, and um, a really awesome opportunity for our family to do ministry together, but be together, um, and it's at the beach, and quite frankly, uh, the beach is awesome. So um, I'm going to be going and doing that this week, but um, over the last couple of days, now Wendy's been sick this week, so I've been doing some of our, um, our trip prep, right? So I'm in full, dad, how few bags can we possibly pack to take on the trip, right? Like I'm winning every time I put a suitcase back in the storage building, right? Um, and so for the last few days, I've been trying to just get some simple things done. Like um, for my two younger sons, I've just needed them to count how many pair of clean underwear they can amass at one time, right? Like I just need a count. Uh, you don't have to be right or wrong. I just need a count, rough count. Uh, I need the same thing with socks. And they're hearing me, right? Like, because I'm saying it over and over and over again. But they're not listening. How do I know they're not listening? Because when we listen, we acknowledge the message and we acknowledge the authority of who sends the message. See, if they were thinking of it like, okay, my dad is saying this, he's in charge, I'm going to be in trouble if I don't obey, or it's better at least that if I obey, they would be listening and finding out what is it that I'm saying, and figuring out why is it so important that I count my underwear. Because we have to leave promptly on Sunday. They would get it. But they're just hearing me. It's just it's, it's transfer of noise. Union is that we hear God. We will hear Him. Communion is, are we listening? Are we listening? When I was at our kids' camp a couple weeks ago, um, there's a guy there, he's a youth pastor at one of the churches that we uh, partnering with the camp. His name's Josh. Now, what you got to understand about Josh is Josh is just coming out of, he's getting, this is crazy. He's getting ready to go into youth ministry. All the, all the craziness of youth ministry, he's getting ready to dive deep into, and he is coming out of, like, he's just ending a full-time career in special forces in the military. On one hand, you may think, he's probably pretty trained. On the other hand, there was a game of dodgeball, evidently, that he played in at a lock-in that two kids are still recovering from, right? <laughs> so as, as I'm getting to know this guy, guy's got a great heart for ministry, great heart for ministry. But, like, he's still a little serious about what he's saying. Um, like, we're, we're on stage, and we're joking. If you've ever seen our camp environment, we're kind of goofing off and joking a lot of times. So we're talking about, like, some kid did something crazy. So I'm trying to kind of you know, include him in what's going on. So I'm like, hey, what are we going to do with him, Josh? He just dead pan does this. He goes. I was like, dude, we can't, like, we can't just, like, we can't execute a child here, dude. Like, what's going on here? Josh, really, really a great guy, a little serious. 
but, but he was sharing with us some of the ministry opportunities he had in the military. And one of them he talked about was um, how they learn about response time. Well, I should say reaction time. Like he was telling us, he said, listen, he said, if you're, if you're 20 feet away from, from a threat, as a person that has a knife, he said, you have a little bit less than a second to react to that before you're dead or majorly injured, right? And this is just the life that he lives. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, he said less than a second, and I'm sitting there going, like, I can't even come up with my order at Chick-fil-A in one second, and I'll memorize the menu. Like, what's, I would not survive in, on the earth where this man has been. But, but he had some, he was telling us about reaction times, and one of the illustrations he used with the kids was so cool. He took a few dollars like this, and he balled them up, and, and we had these stools that we used on stage, and he put, he put the dollars right here. And he told the kids, he said, listen, he said, um, put your hand, and he would put their hand, he'd take it and put it there. He said, put about that high above the money. He said, and this money, if you can grab it, is yours. He said, I'm going to put my hand here on top of yours. He said, the only rule is you can't move your hand until I move it. Now, you would think, okay, if your hand's right here, all you've got to do is just drop it. I mean, gravity is on your side, right? I mean, we, we see the response of gravity. I, I see the response of gravity. My stomach keeps pointing downward. Like, if, if my belly button was an eyeball, it's looking, at, it's looking at my shoelaces right now. So it's like gravity, it takes effect. But if it's, like, if you're right here, gravity's already on your side. I'm sorry, that just ruined Sunday for some of y'all. But he would say, he said, listen, you, you can't move until I move my hand. And you would think, okay, somebody surely could grab it. Every time he would move his hand and boom, he's here before they ever even hit the stool. So I, I switched it with him. I said, okay, surely this guy, you know, he does this so much, he probably snatches it every time. He puts his hand right here. I put my hand on top. Boom. I grab it. I'm like, so obviously I'm almost special forces. So <laughs> I grab it every thanks. I grab it every time. And he told me, he said, listen, he said, once rarely might someone grab it, grab it. He said, if you increase basically your reaction time. And I tell you that story to tell you this. Um, a relationship with God, communion with God, is not going to be ever experienced, really, if we're living our lives reactionary. In other words, if we, if we commune with God in response to negative events in our life, we are, we are living at the wave level. Right? If we go deeper into our relationship with God, and say, okay, all right, God, you, you tell me to love others. Why? What do you see in them? W what did you see in me? What, what was my worth when you sent Jesus for me? Dig deep into that to start to, to work on those areas of our hearts. Because, again, it's not the outside. It's, it's the inside so much for us. See, for us, we have to come to the place where we decide at what pace do we want to live our relationship with God? Because the Bible uses this term draw near in a lot of ways from a lot of different perspectives. And if we went around the room and shared our life stories, we would share how we have gotten to know God, we've, how we've come to be saved through Jesus Christ, how we heard the gospel. Uh, we would talk through um, broken relationships. We'd talk, th we'd talk through scary events. We'd talk through a lot of things and how we've gotten to know God and how we've begun to walk with him. And, and that is reflected in the Word of God. When it says draw near, it talks about a lot of different approaches to knowing who God is, the one true God, but knowing who He is and walking close with Him. What I want you to really consider over the next couple of weeks are passages like that, an evaluation thought of what's communion like. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if your life isn't really smooth right now, then you must not have union with God. God says, listen, union with God is salvation through Jesus Christ. If you have responded to the gospel, you realize that you sin, and you said, yes, Jesus is my Lord. You've prayed to God, and you said, God, forgive me, save me. The Bible's very clear. It says he will do that. He promises that. That's union. Don't rest just on union. Don't depend that union will be enough for you to receive all that you need in the moment that you need it. The way to ensure that the relationship is close, that we know that we have grace and resources in advance for what is going on in our lives, is in communion.
It's in the deeper relational part of that. Would you close your eyes for just a second, just to focus, if you don't mind, please. Um, the most important topic for us at any point in our church is, is this. It's union and communion. It's, do you know that you're saved? And what's your walk like with Jesus Christ? Those two questions open up everything in life. It puts everything on the table. No matter um, if, if it's marriage, if it's finances, if it's kids' issues, if it's work, if it's um, whatever, um, self-value, um, anxiety, depression, no matter what you're experiencing, do you know that you're saved and how's your walk with Jesus brings all that into conversation. We want you to know that being saved is specifically something. It's a real relationship. If you don't know that you've begun that relationship with God, we would love to show you how you can do that. It's very simple. I mean, I really, we want to show you God's word about what it says, but as a, as a general explanation, it's, it's believing in who Jesus is. It's, it's giving our lives to God and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. In other words, he has authority because he died for our sins. He paid for that, that he came back to life, that, that he lived here on earth and he's lived in heaven, that he knows all. So everything that he teaches and tells us is something that we should follow. He's got the perfect perspective. He knows it all. The Bible says if we go to God in prayer, claiming that, believing it with our heart, that we are saved. I would encourage you not just to pray that prayer and want to begin that, but let's, let's live life together. You can, if you feel bashful, you can fill out one of our connect cards and you can check, yes, I decided to become a Christian. And we will follow up with you. We want to talk to you about that. Because it's this walk, it's this cleaning process, it's this journey that's just as important as well. This week is... Um, a week for our nation to celebrate our independence. Um, Fourth of July celebrates um, a victory for our nation that's way farther back than any of us could ever have experienced. Uh, it represents a major event for us as a nation. And I, I do believe that we are blessed to live in the United States of America. Um, we have a life that has afforded us a lot of freedom. Uh, and that freedom hasn't always been the best thing probably for us spiritually. Um, we can do so many things that we, um, you know, honestly sometimes don't depend on God as much as we see in some other nations. The, the Bible, the Word of God is very clear about what God's desire is for us. And, and His desire is, is very much that we draw close to Him, that we draw near. And He... He doesn't just look at each of us individually in our own single lives, but He also looks at us as a nation. We, we see how He did that with the children of Israel. He told them, He said, listen, if my people will, will return to me, they'll draw near, that I will heal their land, I will forgive their sins, I will be with them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Our prayer as a church should always be for God to heal our country. There are many things that seek to divide us. And those are things that we need to dive deep into God's Word on. There's things that divide us that, that, that many of us can't really speak to because we've never experienced them. But that doesn't mean that they're not very real. And there's a lot of things that we see on the outside that want to make us seem like and seem convinced that there's differences. But God's Spirit in us is what's drawing us together. Our prayer as a church should always be for the leaders of our country, of our state, of our city, of our communities. Whether we agree with a president or not, we should always desire that God would work in a president's heart, reveal himself, and that a president would give their heart to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because if we have a leader over our country that is led by the Holy Spirit and taught by the Word, then even when they can't make the law completely themselves, there'll be a light. There'll be a light when there's darkness. So we want to take a minute just to pray. And there's a song that um, Dale has had on his heart 
um, that is this theme of um, what God could do in our great nation. So instead of standing for this song, if you will, just stay seated and be ministered to by it. And if you will, continue to pray with me today and especially through this week for our leaders, for our nation, uh, to, to find the path that God would have us to be on. For us as individual believers and as a church, to be the part of his kingdom in our nation that he wants us to be. To live lives that clearly show the gospel of Jesus and his love and his grace. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, to just for being our Father. Thank you, God, that we can come to you when we don't have all the answers. God, and for us in this room, we don't have the kind of control in our nation that can, that can put laws into the books. But Lord, we know as our Father that you care about us and you, you want us, Lord, to live for you. So however it is that we need to live with you, God, put that on our heart. Give us a heart that is compassionate enough to pray for our leaders. Lord, we lift President Trump up to you. Uh, Lord, all of, of our political leaders in Washington, the Senate, the Congress, Vice President, the Cabinet, Lord, everyone that's in there that has heavy decisions to make, that gets to weigh in with their comments, and their comments carry weight for things that happen, for things that are put into law. Lord, we pray that our law would re reflect the quality, God, of who you are. Lord, for all the things that are being debated in our nation, for the lives of babies, Lord, for gender identity issues, for everything that's being discussed, God. Uh, Lord, we want to pursue the will, the plan, the direction that you have for us. Lord, help us to be your voice, your eyes, your hands, your feet in our world, in our generation. Lord, help us to live in obedience. Help us to live wisely. Help us to live with good testimonies, Lord, that we respect and we honor authority. God, help us to hold to the truth, to not be ashamed of it, to not be bashful about it, but to realize that behind every sin is a life and is a mind and is a soul. And Lord, help us to love that person and love them so compassionately that when they look at us, when they hear our message, the message of the gospel, they find no fault and no blame. Lord, we lift you up, Lord, for these moments where we concentrate, Lord, on what you could do, that Jesus would come into the hearts of the lives in our nation, the lives of our leaders. Lord, as even for those of us that have already confessed Jesus as Savior, that our lives will forever be changed and continually changed in whatever direction we go. Lord, help us to be revived, but help us to not depend on revival, not depend on one service, but to walk faithfully with you and to live in good communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.